for this morning's worship. Would you please turn to Isaiah 55, the book of the prophet Isaiah and chapter 55. Ho, listen, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good, and let your soul delight itself in abundance." Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel. For he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Let's pray once again. Lord God, let your mighty word be heard. Speak and speak with power. Grant that we may receive these things as truth for the blessing of our souls because you are speaking to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This chapter is full of pleading, full of urging. God himself pressing upon those who hear the warmth of his heart and the strength of his hand. As you work your way through, you, you hear these earnest, heavenly tones. Listen. Are you thirsty? Come and drink. Do you have no money to buy with? 
Well, come and eat wine and milk without money and without price. Why are you pursuing that which cannot satisfy? Why are you investing in that which will not bless? If you will only listen to me, says the Lord, you will live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant in keeping with the covenant of David himself. Seek the Lord then while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Forsake your ways, you wicked. You unrighteous, turn from your ungodly thoughts. Come back to God because God will have mercy upon that one. Come to God for he is ready abundantly to pardon. You would have thought that those first seven verses would have been enough to make any man, woman, boy or girl a believer. God himself holding out the richest and the sweetest of heavenly favours and saying, there's, there's nothing that you need to do, I have done it all. There's nothing that you need to give because this is my gift. I have borne the weight of these promises. I have paid the price for these good things. And yet, the strange thing is that as you come to verses 8 and 9, the Lord needs to reason with us further. My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's as if you could read the first seven verses and say, nah, it's too good to be true. Surely there's no deal like this. And I actually wonder if in our own society, in our own culture, we've become so used to extravagant promises that actually have very little in the way of substance, that the gospel itself becomes something suspicious to us. No one does a deal like this. Now, the tragic thing is that that's not actually a new problem. And so that's what you have with God here, essentially saying to us, do not consider me by your own standard. Do not measure me by your own dealings. The Lord would have us take him at his word, to trust in him according with his grace in Christ Jesus. Some of you will think of 2 Corinthians and chapter 5. I think we looked at this a a little time ago where the Apostle Paul is, is speaking there as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says at verse 20. As ambassadors of Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you, we plead with you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Why does Paul say that? Why does Paul feel the freedom to say, look, it's as if God himself is speaking to you. It's because God has begun to th- Paul has begun to think God's thoughts after him. Paul has picked up the spirit and the urgency of the Lord's own pleadings with sinners. Trust me. Believe me. Take me at my word. Be reconciled to me. I wonder if you have thought of that either before today or if you will now think of it. That the God of heaven himself speaks to everybody in this room this morning and says, I want you to be saved. 
And I want you to take seriously the offer of salvation. Don't sweep it aside. Don't ignore it. Don't overlook it. Don't neglect it. Don't say this cannot be for me. God himself pleads through his servants. Talks then about the effect of his own word upon our hearts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void or empty, but it shall accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God will have his people. God will save sinners. The heart of God is for mercy and kindness, redemption and deliverance. God himself is pleading, be reconciled. He uses then this natural likeness in verse 10 to emphasize the certainty of the supernatural process in verse 11. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be. So what is this natural process to which the Lord refers? Well, the gift that he gives is of rain and snow in the natural world. Now, do you rejoice because of the rain? Most of us complain because of the rain. God has given us a gift. I'm not sure at what age you stop rejoicing because of the snow, when it becomes more of an apparent difficulty to you than an obvious delight to you. I hope at least that even in the, the crustiest of us, there's at least something that can look out of the window the first morning that the snow has fallen and see the beauty and the glory of those things. All the more so if we'd lived in an agricultural society, in one sense all societies are agricultural, but one where we depended in a distinct way upon the, the rain and the snow at their appropriate seasons. Now, I'm sure there are times when farmers who are looking at their crops either wish that it wouldn't rain, but more often they'd probably be wishing that it would rain. Those glorious summers that we so enjoy leave farmers scratching their heads and shaking their heads and saying, where is the rain going to come from to water the earth? It is God's kindness and it is still his to bestow. If you've been following the Cricket World Cup at all, you may have seen the, the heavy smog that has been uh, afflicting the crowds and the players in some of the big cities in India. And one of their schemes was to seed the clouds. You know what cloud seeding is? You scatter certain salts where there are clouds and the idea is that it somehow uh, speeds up the, the process by which rain is produced. Uh, saying if we can get the rain to fall, then hopefully it will clear away some of the, uh, the smog, some of the pollution that is stopping us being able to function here. I mean, literally, you know, you, you can't properly breathe. And they're saying it's been done before, but it's shockingly unreliable. Well, we, we can't make it rain. We cannot command 
the snow. Even today, we cannot make it rain and we cannot command the snow. It's the stuff of science fiction to be able to control the weather. And we'll keep trying, because that's the kind of arrogance that men have, but the rain and the snow are fundamentally the gift of God. It's worth bearing in mind that they're not always pleasant at the time. And they're not always identical. Some of us, the drizzle. Some of us, the storms. Some of us, the, the great uh, snowfall. Sometimes the lightest sprinkling. Different degrees and different durations of heavenly influence in order to accomplish divine purposes. And we just start thinking already, ah yes, there's a likeness here. Then where do the rain and the snow come from? Distinctly, they come from heaven. We've already mentioned this in passing. Uh, God himself declares it to Job in Job 37. For example, verse 6, one of the instances where he speaks in this way. He says to the snow fall on the earth, likewise to the gentle rain and the heavy rain of his strength. It is God who gives the rain, God who gives the snow. The same you'll find in Psalm 104 and verse 13. He waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. Now let me encourage you as God's people here to get beyond the weather forecast. Our sense that these things are God's gifts from heaven have been dulled by our reliance on science. I'm not saying that it's magic, and I'm not saying that you cannot see the, the highs and the lows in terms of the pressure, that you cannot trace those jet streams. I love looking at those diagrams. There's a fantastic website. It's a live wind map. And you can see by the size of the arrows and the flows all over the globe, you can go anywhere and you can see where the wind is flowing uh, and, and at what strength. Absolutely stunning. You can zoom in. And then you look out at the trees. You see the trees blowing in the wind this morning? Now, is, is that simply the movement of molecules from areas of high pressure to low pressure? When the rain falls, is that simply a scientific process? The rain and the snow from heaven. God gives these things. It's why when things are still dry, we pray to the God who can give rain. It's God's storehouse. And again, there's something here. Notice the context. The heavens are higher than the earth. And so are God's ways higher than our ways. And yet it is from the heavens that God gives something as basic as rain and snow, bridging the gap because of his mercy and his favour. What about the force of this gift? The rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there. A good close-up will show you the water drops bouncing when the rain falls, especially when it's hammering down. But it doesn't bounce back to heaven, does it? It stops where it is. 
Sometimes we see that as more of a problem, but, but the sense here, it waters the earth. It, it, it's, God does not give these things and then, as it were, take them back again. They remain here and they have their intended effect. What is the, the purpose of these gifts? To water the earth and make it bring forth and bud. It soaks in. It satiates the soil. There's a thorough drenching. At least one of my children always makes fun of me when the rain comes down because I talk about the filling up of the aquifers. You've got these deep wells in the soil where once there's enough rain, as I keep telling him, once there's enough rain, it soaks down deep enough and it begins to, to fill up these deep underground reservoirs. But in order to do that, it needs to soak into the soil. The floods come typically when there's this quick runoff, but this is the kind of rain and the snow that is going to soak down. And you walk out in the mud and you know, perhaps your children are caking it into the house or dragging it into the church building and you think, oh, just everywhere I go, it's caking me. It's good. It's good for the soil because it's soaking. There's the farmer. Because <laughs> it's soaking in and it's preparing it for fruitfulness. And the fruit is the ultimate intent. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but make water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. You read on to the end of the chapter, it transforms the wilderness. It produces an abundance, seed and bread for the sower and the eater, life and and nourishment my friends it not only spreads but it also satisfies it not only satisfies but it also spreads you can eat it now and you can sow it also so that it will bring forth a further abundance seed and bread is what you need for life and God himself takes this imagery as part of his pleading, when he says to you, I want you to understand just how rich and free my grace is. I want you to grasp just how ready I am to bless. Don't think of me the way you think yourself. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are above your ways. As far as the heavens are above the earth. And see how from those high heavens I send rain and snow in their season. So that from the ground itself, seed and bread may come forth to satisfy and nourish your bodies. In the natural realm, God brings all his gracious purposes to completion. And there's a for and there's a so. We talked about the importance of things like conjunctions in our Sunday school. For as the rain comes down so shall my word be. This isn't just a random illustration. This is a picture that God has taken to move us from the natural likeness to the supernatural process. It's God saying, if I can do that in the world that you can see, consider what I'm willing and able to do in the things that you cannot immediately see. If my divine power is so gracious and effective in the natural sphere, will any of us dare to suggest that it is less so in the supernatural realm, in the sphere of the Spirit? 
No, says God, look at the world and see my generous kindness towards you. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So now you've got the word of God. Here is the truth from heaven. Does God give rain and snow in their season? So the Lord will give his heavenly truth. And sometimes it will come down as a storm to drench you. And sometimes it will come down as a drizzle. But if by God's intent it soaks into your soul, then it will penetrate to the very depths. That's what the word of God is like. It's like the summer rain. It's like the winter snow. It's that which we need in order for there to be ultimate fruitfulness. God has spoken his promises regarding salvation. God has said that there's going to be a king who sits on the throne of David forever and forever. And the promises that God made to David are going to be fulfilled in David's greatest son, Jesus Christ. There is a saviour for sinners like me and like you. There is redemption through the blood of the man who will pour out his life's blood on Calvary's tree for our salvation. Christ will come. He is the word of God himself. And the word of God written is all about him. The good news is the word of God coming down like the rain and like the snow. And it comes from the very mouth of God. Again, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, we made reference to this also again this morning. What does the apostle say? All scripture is given by inspiration of God. Remember what we said? That's the breathed out word of God. The rain and snow, where do they come from? Heaven. The word of God, where does that come from? Heaven. God himself is the source of these things. And this is the scripture which makes us wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ and then goes on supplying all that we need for doctrine, reproof, correction and instruction in righteousness. The fact that God is speaking here through Isaiah doesn't mean it's not the word of God. The fact that he spoke through Paul doesn't mean it's not the word of God. This word mediated is not a word diluted. God takes these men, he forms these men from the very beginning. And he then, by his spirit, speaks not just to them, but through them. So that when you read your Bible, you are hearing a word from the throne of heaven. This is my word going forth from my mouth. As if the Lord says... Don't look at Isaiah and assume that this is the word of a man. Don't look at Paul and assume that this is the opinion of a Pharisee whose head's gone a little bit funny. And if I am being faithful to you this morning, don't listen to what I say and think that you can afford to put this off. Because this is the word of God that is going forth from his mouth. Amen. I'm just explaining to you what it means. The word of God, from the mouth of God, with the power of God. It shall not return to me void, 
It shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There's a negative and there's a positive to God's power. Negatively, it's not going to come back empty. It's not going to come back empty. It will not simply bounce off. It will not evaporate. But it will penetrate. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. The word of God is like a sword. Pierces. Cuts. To the very thoughts and intents of the heart. It's like a blade that goes into the very marrow of our being. The divine truth cannot be resisted when God is at work. That's worth remembering. Worth remembering when you're speaking the truth, when you're sowing the seed. Is there any heart that God cannot overcome when he exercises his power? I wouldn't be here if my strength were stronger than God's. I wouldn't be here if I were wiser than him. You read those hymns, talk about fighting against God. I would not have him. So why are you here? Because he would have me. <coughs> I didn't really want to listen. I wasn't really engaged. I couldn't really care less. Why did you start caring? I couldn't not care. Why did you start listening? Because the word gripped my soul. The Bible is not without its impact. It will not return to God void. This gospel that he sends forth. But it shall accomplish what he pleases. And it shall prosper in the things for which he sent it. And God has his purposes. And in one sense this is a general declaration. And you need to remember. That the word of God. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. The gospel of Christ is a savour of life unto life for some, but the savour of death unto death for others. If you will not have what God is speaking, then God's purpose will yet be accomplished in you. For you will be the man, the woman, the child, who heard and rejected, who heard and refused. But that is not the, the context here. What is God trying to persuade us of? It is that if you hear his voice, you will have life. It is that if you come to him, you will receive his sure mercies. The covenant that he made with David. The whole run of this chapter is the run of a God who is pleading with you and urging you. Take me seriously. My friends, what a fearful thing that the God of heaven should have to speak to us like that. God speaks and I don't take him seriously. God speaks. And though my heart is not by nature inclined toward him. Yet God sees fit to reason with me. To urge me. To plead with me. To send his ambassadors to me. As if God himself was speaking to every person here this morning. Be reconciled. 
Come back, be restored. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Can I really believe that? Yes, says God. But it's not very manlike. What do you expect, says the God of heaven? My thoughts are higher than yours. My ways beyond yours. If you're struggling to see, says the Lord, how this works, I want you to think about the rain and the snow that come down from heaven, water the earth and make it fruitful so that it brings forth both seed and provides bread. And I want you to understand <coughs> that in the same way, my word goes forth from my mouth and shall not return to me void, but shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. It will be fruitful so if you're thirsty come and drink if you're hungry come and eat if you've heard trust and live incline your ear come to God hear and you shall be saved it's a word of affirmation divine assurance God speaks about God speaking. <laughs> that God should speak to you, that's a marvel of grace. That God should speak to you about his speaking so that you can be confident, that's grace upon grace. The Lord's saying, come to me, take me seriously when I say, come to me. It's why you can and should believe this morning in the God of the Bible and in the Christ who saves you have every reason for doing so. You have no reason not to. It's a word of conviction because it gives me and you confidence in the saving truth. This isn't my idea. This isn't your opinion. God has spoken. God has spoken to you. And you may trust him for yourself and so be saved. And then you can go and tell others about him with the confidence that they too shall be saved through trusting in God and in his son, Jesus Christ. Why can I stand here Sunday after Sunday telling you about the Christ who saves? Because God has spoken. Because that's the son of the almighty who's come to suffer and die in the place of sinners. How would I dare to concoct such a scheme if God had not made it known? It would be almost blasphemy, would it not? <clears throat> For a mere mortal to suggest that that's what God needs to do. And yet this is what God does do. I'm the mouthpiece. Speaking on behalf of God. I'm the spotlight. Throwing, well, I'm not even the spotlight, the Holy Spirit's the spotlight. I'm just, I'm just trying to turn the beam in that sense. So that Christ is illuminated before you. It's a word of instruction. Listen to what God says. Why do you come to church? Why are you here this morning? Will you come back this evening? Why? Because God's speaking. When God's speaking, we should be listening. When God speaks, 
we should be receiving and believing every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You may be a little bit sick of the rain already. But if you'd been through a drought of six months and the clouds began to form, would you get under cover? Would you get out in the open? If you wanted your fields to be fruitful, would you rage at the gathering storm? Would you plead that the drops might fall? God is speaking. Get under the word of God. Drink in the truth. Spare no opportunity to hear the word of the living and saving God. It's a word that prompts us to supplication, to asking for things. When we pray that God would save sinners, are we working in accordance with his truth or against it? Do you have to twist God's arm to show mercy? Or is that the very heart of the Almighty? When you pray that God would save your friends, your family members, your husbands or wives, your sons or your daughters, your parents and your neighbours, when you're pleading that the Lord would use the word that goes from this place, and I trust, brothers and sisters, from your mouths, take those weak and feeble things that you say, and you, you might walk away and say, oh, I, I didn't say very much, and I didn't say it very well. Did you speak the word of God? Then you can pray that God would bless his word, that it would soak into that heart. When you preach, when you teach, when you read, when you write the word of God, you can and should be pleading that the God of the word would bring it in fruitful purpose. And that's real consolation. Some of you don't need comforting because you never tell anybody about Jesus. <laughs> but some of us do because we try to. And it doesn't always feel like it's accomplishing very much. There's not much like the grief of preaching without fruit. Not much like the frustration of you speaking to a friend or family member week after week and month after month. Not much like the grief of a parent who sees their children untouched or a child who sees their parent unconcerned. And what do we do? We keep on preaching and we keep on teaching. Is it worth it? God says it is. God says go on speaking. I don't want to steal James' thunder or her rain and snow. But the rain fell a long time in that lady's life before the fruit came. Some of you know of people who were under the rain and the snow of the word of God for a very long time before it soaked in deep enough for the fruit to spring forth. Some of you, <clears throat> some of you sat under a storm of God's word. You sat there and it hit you like a, a whirlwind full of thunder and lightning and great drenching rains and within moments your heart was bringing forth its fruit. Some of you sat under the drizzle of the truth from your earliest days and eventually in God's kindness it soaked in far enough and deep enough and the Lord's purposes were fulfilled 
and it brought forth its fruit. That's your consolation. You keep preaching. You keep teaching. You keep speaking. You keep reading. You keep writing. You tell people about Jesus. And God says, it will not return to me void. This is not purposeless. This is not empty. My gracious purposes cannot be thwarted. I will save by these things. And so it becomes to us a word of expectation. That I can and I should speak this with confident hope. I want some of you this morning to be converted. Not because I want some of you not to be converted, but because some of you are converted. It's all the other people that I want to be saved. Everybody who has not yet called upon the name of the Lord, I want you to call upon the name of Christ this morning. I will be grieved if that is not the case. Because this is God speaking to you. And God is holding out himself and life in him. Do you look for fruit in salvation? Do you expect it when you tell people? Not in some glib way. Not in some sort of tit-for-tat sense. Well, I spoke and God didn't fulfill his side of the bargain. But my friends, do we believe that just as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, that so shall be the word of God going forth from his own mouth. It shall not return to him void. Christian, we are entitled to expect that God will save by his gospel. We should look for it, having prayed for it. Because it won't go back empty to the gracious and saving God of heaven. It accomplishes all that he pleases. It prospers in the thing for which he sent it. So if you have not yet come to Jesus, come to him now. If you have yet to trust in God, trust in him now. Incline your ear and come to the God who saves. Here, and your soul shall live. Amen. Amen.